Podcast Revolution Network presents. The Way with Noah. Welcome to another edition of The Way of Vanilla. Um, it's always a pretty exciting week on, you know, the interwebs and actually in the world of politics around us. Uh, this week, uh, we are in day three or four of uh, conversation and controversy around uh, Representative Ilhan Omar and her critique of the influence of uh, APAC and other organizations within the Israel lobby, um, and 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 how that ha- actually inter you know interacts with her own work in Washington in response to um, criticism, critique, and threats uh, actually from you know uh, representatives on the right um, who do not like her politics or really her her very vocal and bold stance on particular issues. And so as this all has unfolded, I'm sure many of you have watched this or read pieces or even seen videos or heard podcasts about it so far, um, there have been those who have been trying to kind of bring the the conversation back into context about the power and influence of particular lobbies in our politics. We've had a conversation for the past few years in particular about the importance of you know, discussing honestly money and politics, and here we have an opportunity to do that around what has been a very sensitive topic for many years, and yet we're 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 not necessarily having that really robust dialogue that we could be having. So I'm really excited because I was able to get in touch with one such journalist who's been doing that. Alice Koch just wrote a piece um in uh the Guardian, Ilhan Omar is right about the influence of the Israel lobby. And there has been this conversation back and forth about whether or not um a tweet that she had or that when you read the two tweets together, um, was that her being anti Semitic or feeding into, you know, anti Jewish tropes in terms of how she was trying to express what what some of us would call, you know, basic political facts. So Alex, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, definitely. So in in thinking about, you know, what we kind of all saw explode um, in this exchange, kind of what was your, like, just initial thoughts about, in thinking about this discourse and thinking about everything that Ilhan and also as well as Representative um, uh, Rashida Tlaib have experienced upon entering Congress, kind of what was your thought about, like, how this is being framed in terms of response to her responding to being attacked herself? Yeah, I mean, the, what jumped out at me um, initially was that just in January, um, House Democratic leadership, I think Steny Hoyer in particular, um, the House Majority Leader, um, jettisoned a, another Democrat's proposal to formally censure uh, Representative Steve King of Iowa. He's a Republican who has been in Congress since 2003, and he's really um, known as, as a white supremacist. He, he's um, endorsed uh, a Nazi candidate for Toronto mayor just out of the blue. He's met with uh, neo-Nazi like publication in Austria, giving them an exclusive interview, et cetera. Said a million 
horribly, you know, white supremacist and white nationalist sounding things. Um, so, so Steny Hoyer didn't want to censor him because he was worried it would upset his GOP colleagues who, by the way, you know, have really not demonstrated any, uh, interest in working with the Democrats across the aisle anyway. So I'm not sure why that's a concern. But point is, you know, just hours after, you know, Omar tweets these two tweets, um, about, you know, a, a powerful lobby group, which is something we should be talking about, especially, uh, when it pertains to, uh, U.S. policy, uh, with Israel. Um, you know, just hours after we have Nancy Pelosi and Hoyer and some other, um, Democratic leaders formally calling on her to apologize. You know, she's a, a the, you know, the first black Muslim woman ever in Congress and immediately they leap on her and label her an anti-Semite. Um, you know, there's just a horrible double standard going on. So that, that, that was kind of my initial reaction. Yeah, and I appreciate you pointing that out and centering kind of right here, right, in terms of Steve King in particular, um, because we have a history of very egregious, bigoted, in some instances of Representative Kevin McCarthy, anti-Semitic, you know, attitudes, um, you know, commentary, all types of stuff and, and in terms of the president, the vice president, and, and people they've uh, uh, brought into spaces, I mean, um, my dad was just reflecting earlier about was it the, the preacher or the, the the reverend or whatever that that they had um, present. There was like it, it was some 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 preacher who was like really his, himself had like anti-Semitic um, viewpoints that, that 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 Trump and Pence had invited into a space at a time where you would think there would be a little more sensitivity um, towards Jewish people. Like it's just yeah, like, I think I think actually. I'm not sorry to interrupt okay. you. I, I'm not really. I didn't follow that closely, but I do remember that I think Pence portrayed this guest as as a, a Jew or even as a rabbi. And it was a rabbi. Yes, that's what it was. But he actually yes. wasn't. I mean, it was. He was. I think he he had something to do with converting Jews to Christianity or something. I mean, it's really offensive. It was something to, really offensive. Right. Yes, right. And, and, and I just couldn't remember. To, I was, yeah. But uh, but no, it's no, just no, to get no. this in because if if you meant you mentioned Kevin McCarthy. Who, uh, of course, you know, it, Omar was responding on Twitter to Kevin McCarthy's threat. He he was he said, if Democrats don't um, do something about Omar and Talib, who support BDS, that's clearly why McCarthy does wanted them to be punished. He said, I'll do something. I'll take action if if they don't. So she was responding to him personally. Uh, it was to a Glenn Greenwald tweet that was it had an article about um, you know this, mm -hmm. this threat that McCarthy made. Um, you know, but McCarthy himself has tweeted out anti-Semitic things about George Soros, Tom Steyer, um, you know, uh, Michael Bloomberg, Jewish billionaires kind of controlling Democrats, um, you know. And, and so it's it's just I think when you're I mean, I'm, I'm mainly um, concerned with the Democratic Party and how they treated their own colleague. Absolutely. Um, because, the, you know, the you expect that from the right. You expect that from the Republican Party, which has become you know, really the party of Trump, which is an absolutely racist and sometimes anti-Semitic party. So, uh, but but it's just the hypocrisy of McCarthy doing that is pretty astonishing. Right. But I, but, but I think, though, if I, although I agree with you about I spend more time in terms of, you know, liberals, progressives, the Democrats, because theirs will be, quote, unquote, on our side. Um, but I think what you're pointing to is really illustrative of that conversation as well, because we see this onslaught of attacks. I was just watching MSNBC with my dad earlier and finally saw a commentator note, finally, that, yes, Il Representative Ilhan Omar has been targeted by other members of Congress, has been 
facing issues with cyberbullying and other stuff basically nonstop since she was elected because she holds such a different viewpoint than the majority of members of Congress. But we, we, we see this reluctance to actually defend, even if you don't agree with the policy stances of each other, to just defend people like Representative Ilhan Omar. There was a tweet earlier from Sludge pointing out um, an issue with, you know, current Representative Duncan Hunter of California, who many may remember ran against um, Omar Kampanajar, who is uh, a Mexican-Palestinian, ran against him. And he blatantly tried to claim that, you know, uh, Amar had terrorist ties and wasn't fit to serve. So we have seen how the right has leveraged this type of attack against, you know, progressive um, uh, Democrats of color. But we don't see the same robust defense coming from Democrats. And in this instance, with Representative Omar, we, we actually see Democrats in some ways furthering and aiding the attack even if they think they're doing the right thing to defend against quote-unquote anti-Semitism by allowing the right to frame this conversation in this way, they've actually piled on and exacerbated a situation against her instead of trying to navigate this conversation honestly. Right, and and whether or not they are aware of it, and I think they are aware of it, these Democrats, but whether or not, you know, the point is this is this is a tactic that's used by conservatives, um, you know, extremely strong Zionists, people who are uh, threatened by any criticism of the Israeli government to conflate an actual criticism, a political criticism uh, about human rights of Palestinians and um, what Israel is doing to Palestine with anti-Semitism. And so my argument, one of my arguments in my Guardian op-ed that came out this morning is that, you know, it's actually harmful to the fight against anti-Semitism when we mislabel things. Um, as anti-Semitic that are not, and also it, it's, it's detrimental to our discussion about the influence of special interests in Washington, which is a huge problem that I think most Americans recognize as a huge problem. There's a lot of polling on that, um, that corruption is maybe the, for about 75% of voters uh, of this cycle, 2018 cycle, they said you know, fighting corruption was the number one issue uh, in, in regarding the elections. Um, and so, I mean, people are really concerned about the influence of money and power and lobbying in politics. And, and APAC is is one of the you know most powerful um, pro-Israel lobbying groups. In, in fact, they spend way more money, three and a half million dollars every year, on lobbying the federal government in order to sway what how they how they uh, vote. They also pay for members of Congress to go to Israel to meet with um, you know, Israeli government officials and to, to speak with APAC. Representatives um, kind of seeing the Israel-Palestine conflict through uh, the APAC lens. Um, so they do they do spend their money in ways that um, are directly uh, that are um, intended to directly impact um, the, the policy positions of members of Congress. And calling that out, um, especially when there's hardly any you know pro-Palestine lobby group that's you know really powerful in, in Washington, um, that's a good thing. And I think it's you know the fact that she was attacked for that is. Um, pretty emblematic of how powerful those lobby groups really are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think what's really interesting about how this all, this conversation, we're talking about, you know, a very specific organization and entity, which, um, you know, in her tweet, Ilhan Omar, when she's pressed, uh, specifically about who specifically do you think is doing this, she answers specifically. She doesn't say it's Jewish money as, as just misstated by many individuals. Um, she specifically says this very specific group, APAC, and there's a lot of nuance I know folks have out there about exactly how APAC operates. And I think 
when you really dig into how and start reading more about how APEC operates, that even though, you know, folks will say, oh, it only spends this amount of money, you know, Planned Parenthood spends more lobbying the government. You know what I'm saying? Like, people will do that comparison. When you look at the entities and individuals that make up the organization and how the network itself lobbies and invests, it really is a lot that is spent in terms of influencing policy in a specific way. So a lot of the conversation that has come out since, you know, this, this outrage at what she said, how, how do we navigate this conversation when, when we, when, when, when I'm watching people I respect, you know, very much their opinions say that because she said APEC and because she responded to criticism of her by McCarthy, well, not just criticism, an attack by McCarthy in this way based on her stance on BDS primarily, that, that when she said, oh, it's all about the Benjamins, that that means that she's playing on, you know, anti-Semitic tropes of Jewish people as, like, being, you know, money, people with money who are just trying to control the world, which I'm sure most of us, I hope most of us who are listening, all of us who are listening can agree that that is anti-Semitic. That type of imagery is definitely wrong. It's not something that we should promote or engage in at all. But it seems almost like folks extrapolated out from what she simply said about this one particular entity to all Jewish people and 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 and, and that that kind of concerns me about our ability to actually have an honest conversation about APAC and similar situated similarly situated organizations and their influence on members not just of Congress but as state legislatures we see anti BDS bills regardless of where people stand on BDS or not. We see bills that are being entered into law that crush, you know, freedom of speech across the country, they continue to try and pass it in Congress, and it really is alarming. How do we be, how are we able to navigate this conversation when we're being told we can't talk about money because money plus Jewish people means you're being anti-Semitic when we're specifically, narrowly talking about these specific organizations? Yeah, I mean, you know, and Omar was asked the question on Twitter by the, uh, a forward opinion editor, Batya Ungar Sargon, um, she said, I, I wonder who, you know, Omar thinks is, is paying politicians, uh, to, you know, vote in, you know, in a pro-Israel way. And she said, APAC. And, you know, that's, now, technically that's actually not necessarily correct just because APAC is actually not a PAC. It's called a public affairs committee, which is just their own term. So they don't have a, a federal PAC that gives money directly to candidates. But, um, as I detailed in my sludge article, um, that's that's where I report for is uh, sludge, um, where where money and politics website uh, is, is that you know APAC since the 70s has helped create um, other actual political action committees that they then encourage their members to donate to, and then those committees donate to mem- you know their favorite members of Congress. They also encourage their members, and there's many members. Uh, it's a large sort of countrywide organization. Um, they encourage their members to do- donate directly to these same politicians, um, and, you know, so, so I mean, there is, it's indirect, but there's a, there's a lot of money that they control. If you read a couple of pieces in The Intercept um, from Ryan Graham, one of them is from Ryan Graham, one of them is from um, Mehdi Hassan. They're excellent pieces. They, they really, um, they, they show countless examples of, of people who either worked at APAC or who worked, you know, in conjunction with APAC saying uh, explicitly in it, even times bragging about how much power they have over um, politicians in Washington. I think in one instance in one of the articles, uh, I think it was Mehdi Hassan's article, uh, he recounts someone saying that 
uh, you know, pulling out a napkin in some social setting and say, I could have 77 senators sign this napkin, you know, in an hour if I, if I wanted to. So, uh, I mean, the power is real and the, the fact that, I mean, it's just, the, the, the irony is, is, is pretty deep. I mean, we're talking about, as you mentioned, you know, 26 states so far have anti-DDS bills. So in many cases, I believe those bills, um, they, they allow the government to, you know, retract any contracts they have with companies that uh, support boycotting Israel for its atrocities against Palestine. So the idea that, A, we're criminalizing free speech, which is, you know, the right to, to, to uh, support a boycott. This happened in South Africa, and it was effective, by the way, mm-hmm. as I'm sure you and many listeners know. Um, and, and but so so you can't you can't do that. And then when you defend yourself uh, for people criticizing you for that, then you can't actually defend yourself in a factual way that involves money in politics. Um, it, it's kind mm-hmm. of an impossible situation, and I can I I cannot possibly imagine what it's like to be. Uh, a woman, a black woman, much less a black Muslim woman in Congress, the very first one, and having to deal with this in your first month, the first month and a half that you're in office. I mean, it's it's it, the people like Pelosi and Hoyer who can't see this this massive chasm of of opportunity and equality that's going on, you know, that they're widening is is really sad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, absolutely, and thank you for breaking it down more about because I think one thing I think is a good lesson out of all of this is that when we are going to criticize and particularly talk about the influence and scope, we should actually understand what we're talking about. And so I appreciate you in your piece, and definitely, um, you know, folks listening, definitely check the description because there are links to uh, Alex's article as well as the MSF article as well as a pretty cool a documentary that was done um, that details this more that, that, that is mentioned in the Intercept piece as well. But I think I appreciate, not I think, but I do appreciate the fact that you do parse out about how APEC operates because you are right. It is not a PEC. And so it is, it is a little, I, and I know some people were like, well, her, her tweet was offensive because it was kind of flippant. And well, you know, I mean, we have hip folks using Twitter and it was kind of catchy. And so, but I can see how people might be upset if, you know, they're not really as in tune to the conversation about money and politics. How do we make this topic more easy to understand and digestible for folks who are just reacting because they think that that, that someone is attacking Jewish people for spending their money or donating to organizations, which I've heard some, some folks, you know, also say, well, people donate money to these other things and no one is attacking them. But I, I, I don't know if that's necessarily true either. Is there something special that we need to do and how we're communicating right now? A lot of people are talking about how we use our words or, or how we phrase things, but 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 how could she have discussed this any better, possibly? Well, I, I think, um, you know, just her and everyone else. I mean, I think um, we could certainly be more direct, you know. Um, I mean, I do think her tweets were poorly worded. Uh, I don't think she'll kind of address this issue the same way again. Um, but I also don't think she was wrong, right? And, and I also think that people, for example, a lot of people probably didn't realize that that lyric was from a pop, it was actually the title of a, of a Puff, Puff Diddy song, right, from the 90s. I mean, it's a popular track that a lot of younger people already know and are aware that it's a reference, you know, it's not, it's not her just, you know, so, so people are kind of putting some words in their mouth as if, for instance, like she said, APEC, well, are there other groups? In fact, like, uh, mm-hmm. there are other, uh, lobby groups that do have PACs that do give a lot of money to candidates. Was she saying that they don't exist? No. 
but a lot of people accuse her of doing that. Uh, she was giving an example. She was asked a question. She gave an example. It was uh, five letters. It was a tweet, you know. So I think, like, people are very triggered just by even the remote possibility that what someone says might be linking Jews to money, even if they didn't say that. And, I, again, as you said, I, I agree, and it's very important for everyone to realize that this is uh, an incredibly anti-Semitic trope that is, you know, dictators and uh, uh, you know, fascists and everyone have used for for actually millennia, you know, to, to commit atrocities against the Jewish people. So, um, you know, I'm I'm Jewish and, and I recognize this, and, and it affects me personally. So that's actually why I take issue with, um, you know, inaccurately uh, labeling a, a bit of really political reality in Washington as anti-Semitic. It means we can't talk about. Um, the influence of certain lobby groups or certain interests. And, and it is important also to recognize, and this is something I mentioned in my Guardian piece, is that um, APAC, you know, is not just funded by Jewish people. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. they've actually, they've made a, they've made a strong um, uh, kind of uh, image shift lately to, to be seen as a pro-Israel lobby, not the Jewish lobby. Um, and that's because, A, they, you know, they don't want to associate it with, with um, people they want to associate with with a country, and, and, that, and that's I understand that. Um, also, there's a lot of evangelical Christian support for groups like APAC, which are seen as you know right wing conservative pro Israel groups, because you know Christian evangelicals have their own kind of agenda and their own um, you know religious uh, belief right. uh, has to do with the rapture and in Jerusalem and stuff. Uh, I'm you know I can't really speak much on that. I, I don't know right, a whole lot right. about it, but I do know that. A lot of evangelicals, including our, our Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, were thrilled when um, Israel, when Trump moved the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was another piece in the puzzle for this, I, I believe, this kind of rapture thing to happen. Um, so, you know, they, it, 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 it's not just Jews who are, are funding APAC or who are interested in, and have the same goals as APAC. Um, and, and again, Omar didn't say that. I don't say that in, in my pieces that I've written for Sludge and The Guardian. So I think it's important to, to say, yes, this is not just – it's not Jewish money, and, and we haven't – we actually right. haven't said that. Right. No, I, I, I definitely appreciate the distinction. In a couple – I have not seen a lot of folks. I've seen a few people try to also insert that. And it's part of the problem when we have larger accounts. Um, particularly folks like, you know, your Chelsea Clintons and, 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 and uh, uh, Chuck Schumer, the very large, well-followed, well-respected people who just immediately pile on in response to what is a knee-jerk reaction to the right, the, 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 the supposed, you know, moral outrage, which is really fake from the right. In this instance, we can't have that honest conversation, right? We can't, there, 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 there could have been a moment where someone could have pulled, you know, Ilhan aside, like, hey, you know, I get what you're trying to say, but maybe this wasn't the best way to, to convey it. Instead, we had this full-blown-on thing for two days now with several folks trying to double down and rationalize. But I think you had a really, you know, a really good point in the article that, you know, also builds on what you just said, you know, J Street, a moderate pro-Israel group that has a PAC that spends a lot of money on politics, is right. We must recognize anti-Semitic tropes, but also refrain from labeling all criticism of Israeli actions or policy as anti-Semitic and a transparent effort to silence legitimate discussion and debate. And that's really, even as we're trying to sort through this, that's what feels like what is happening, and it makes a lot of people clam up and not want to touch this subject at all. Yeah, and I was happily surprised that they put out that statement. I completely agree, mm-hmm. as, as you as you, you noted. 
Um, and, and that's exactly my point. It's like we, we have to be able to distinguish between actual anti-Semitism, which is on the rise, especially in the Trump era. We've seen a 60% increase in anti-Semitic incidents in the United States in 2017, up from 2016. Guess who was you know, inaugurated president on January 20th, 2017? I mean, he, you know, this is a president who has his rhetoric and some of his White House staffers uh, in their rhetoric have actually emboldened uh, anti-Semites around the country. Um, and that's, that's what we should be talking about. And instead, we have the president calling on Omar to resign. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's just the absurdity of where we're at uh, as a country right now. Um, and uh, this knee-jerk reaction from people like Chelsea Clinton, um, you know, may or may not be uh, – she may or may not really kind of understand how – uh, the whole context of what she's doing and her, her reaction. And I mm-hmm. think she does, does actually, apparently she might meet with Omar and talk about things. I mean, good for Omar for granting her the meeting. Uh, you know, but, but, um, that, that's fine. But Schumer knows what he's doing. Schumer, I just saw a clip on Twitter today. Katie Halper, who also does a, a great podcast, um, had a clip of her, uh, she was on Laura Ingraham's show last night, um, on Fox, but, but she interspersed, um, a clip of Chuck Schumer speaking at APAC, actually saying, um, you know, the Palestinians don't believe in the Torah, and that's why we don't have peace in, in um, you know, in mm-hmm. Israel-Palestine. I mean, th- th- you know, he, he's a huge uh, pro-Israel advocate. He's one of those Democrats who would never flinch in, in, with the support of Israel, no matter what they do. Um, and, and that's something that's really important that we talk about, because, you know, we every couple of years we have the IDF goes into the West Bank or to Gaza, and they kill hundreds of people, many of them unarmed, they're medics, they're journalists, they're children, they're women. Um, and, and we, we, we just both sides the thing. And that's, that's really not what's going on. And so we, we see this, this, um, huge inequality in, in this, this discussion, uh, today as well, where, you know, we have, um, everyone pouncing on a black Muslim woman for, for speaking truth to power, like most, uh, politicians are not courageous enough to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, and and I I really do appreciate that. It's interesting. Um, there is there is someone on Twitter uh, thread. Uh, Laura Friedman actually did a thread of all about the in, all about the Benjamins and 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 this this notion that it's that it's a well known anti Semitic trope. Um, this reference, and so it's interesting because she goes through, you know, several different instances recently, several different instances recently of, you know, all about the Benjamins being used, you know, in this way and, and, and referencing, you know, various things. So one of the things that's interesting is that there is a Times of Israel article from December 2018 that has, it's all about the Benjamins as part of the title to go on to discussing something else in terms of, of money. So it's just really interesting the way in which we do conceptualize, you know, these concepts depending upon who someone else tweeted about um, Howard Schmidt um, as well, using the same type of, not Howard Schmidt, um, Howard Schultz, excuse me, Howard Schultz, who is the former, you know, for folks who've been following, former Starbucks CEO who is, you know, uh, uh, bragging about how he grew up in the projects of Brooklyn and is now trying to make an independent bid for president. But there was a reference to him as well. Um, by someone with a large follower account, you know, was all about the Benjamins that didn't, you know, generate any type of conversation. I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, that Howard Schultz is also Jewish. Um, so there is a very selective narrative that's also happening here, I think, in terms of Ilhan, as we have seen, even in the sense or lack thereof, 
of her by so many as she has faced very anti-black, very Islamophobic, very sexist, you know, rhetoric and attacks since she was, while she was running, um, you know, there were default, there, 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 there's tons of stuff that she has dealt with, you know, ongoing. And there's a lot of posturing from the right. So I appreciate the beginning of our conversation where you censored this as I'm really interested in what Democrats and others are doing because this is the space we're all supposed to be working and building in and we're all supposed to be the better alternative for folks. And we're not seeing that happening right now in this discourse in this space because now we have Donald Trump, as you said, and Pence doubling down, insisting that she needs to resign when both of them <laughs> and then members of their cabinet and other people, I mean, Brett Kavanaugh, of all people, right, is, 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 is a Supreme Court justice. We have a president who has a long list of things that are racist, anti-Semitic, homophobic, all types of stuff, and yet the audacity of these individuals because of, you know, one or two tweets, now all of a sudden she is the greatest of great evils. And it's, it's, it's not even just out of proportion. It's, it's, it's very, very um, disconcerting that this is the level of discourse we've been having over the past few days. Yeah, I mean, and as I said, you know, you expect that from the right, especially today's right. But, um, you know, to see liberals, uh, you know, fulfill some of the rights, goal of dividing the left and vilifying a Muslim woman um, is, is is pretty disappointing. Not unexpected, but it's disappointing. I mean, if they're, you know, we, we have this kind of horrible two-party system where um, both parties think, but one party's doing a lot more damage than the other. And, you know, like the, the, the more liberal party is supposed to be the party that is actually allied with people of color, um, is supposed to be, I mean, at least maybe has a chance of enacting some policies that do actually help people of color. And this is, this is how their leadership responds. And I think, I think in something I, I say in my Guardian piece is that, um, politicians in Congress, um, actually vastly overestimate how conservative their, their constituencies are. Um, and so when they have, you know, APAC lobbying in their ear all the time, that's going to drive them to think that their voters think like these APAC lobbyists. That's not true. And I think, just in, in the past couple of days on Twitter, I mean, you know, I actually haven't gotten a lot of um, hate tweets or hate mail from, from my articles and my stance as this uh, on this. A couple of years ago, I think I would have. So I, I do think that the public is changing its opinion, uh, especially just after year after year seeing what Israel's been doing to Palestine and then seeing these cowardly politicians not even support people's right to boycott, you know, just a free speech issue that's protected in the Constitution. I think I think actually the, the American public is shifting a lot on this. You can see the uh, the Israel funded birthright trips are way down. Uh, the number of people mm. going on these trips to Israel is way down because young people especially are, are saying this is we don't want to support this anymore. This is not right. You know we're we're Jewish. We've never been to Israel, but we fundamentally we think all human rights are, are important. Everyone's human rights. And, and right now you see Israel. Um, having these, these horrible atrocities, and we still can't even talk about it on the po political level in the United States. Um, so that's why, you know, like I, I, I'm, I'm reporting on this, and I wrote an op-ed, and I, I'm, I'm happy to, I'm proud that I, I support the rights of, of Palestinians to uh, have, you know, basic human rights and civil rights in, in their own country to not be controlled by Israel. And that's, there's nothing anti-Semitic about it. In fact, as I say in my piece, I think it, it's, you know, I was raised Jewish and not very observant, but I will say if there's anything I've learned, it's that standing up for oppressed people is an extremely Jewish thing to do and is the way to really honor our history as being an oppressed people. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I absolutely 
definitely agree and think about how we've had so much cross-cultural work in organizing, right? When we think about mm-hmm. the earlier part of last century um, and, and uh, even through the civil rights movement and other, you know, movements and actions, and there there is a lot of space for us to build if we can actually figure out a way to have good, respectful discourse like this to really move forward on issues of concern that even though, you know, some people will say, well, that's some issue someplace else that doesn't affect me, I do think when we're talking about matters of human rights and justice, it affects us all. And so I definitely appreciate you for your work and sharing your voice in the way that you do and helping us, you know, have better conversations about this. I think being better informed, being more precise, and exact with our language goes a long way. And it also helps from, you know, people defining for us what we're trying to say when we just make it very clear. Yeah, I agree. And, yeah, thanks a lot for your work, too. And, um, I yeah, I hope to continue, you know, reporting on this issue. I, I've done some reporting in the recent past on the weapons industry and mm. how that kind of overlaps with the pro-Israel lobby groups. Mm-hmm. And how mm-hmm. actually the Elliot Angle, who's the Democratic chair of the House um, Foreign Relations Committee, which has Omar as a new member, and Angle called her out on Monday, uh, among other Democrats. Um, you know, he he's one of the top recipients of campaign contributions from both the defense industry and um, the groups that are um, identified by the Center for Responsive Politics as being pro-Israel. Um, so mm-hmm. that's another kind of money issue that's really important is, is our, our military industrial complex and how that dovetails with our, our support for Israel. You know, I, I don't think a lot of people realize, and I didn't realize until recently, that a lot of our military aid to Israel is actually just giving them money so they can buy U.S. weapons. Um, so that's a, Oh, that's I don't know that stuff. I realized that either. Yeah, yeah. When I, I was doing this piece, and I, I researched it a little bit, and I realized that um, a lot of it is it's basically an indirect corporate subsidy to Lockheed Martin and Boeing and all the other uh, big, massive weapons uh, weapons manufacturers and government contractors um, mm-hmm. through another country. And and I um, I, I I'm not sure the details of, for instance, our, our military deals with Saudi Arabia, but uh, at least in terms of Israel, I mean, you know, we're just pouring money uh, into their military so they can buy our weapons and then use them to. to Commit atrocities in Gaza. So mm-hmm. uh, I think you know, mm-hmm. like the idea that we're we're you know we have to pay taxpayer money to do that. Um, you know, is something I object to, and I think a lot of Americans, if they became aware of that, uh, would really object to also. More reason why we need to support people who are willing to bring us to both the tabloid and have these conversations. And definitely exactly. appreciate you acknowledging that there is information out there about Saudi Arabia that we probably actually also are not as clear and aware about that we do definitely need to be looking at and understanding as well. So, Alex, thank you. Appreciate you taking time today to chat with me. This has been great. Yeah, it's been really fun. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye.